welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Well, we're going to get into the Word of God uh, today, and I've got to apologize. I know uh, last week I lied because I said we were going to finish this series today, but as I began to study, I said I could either finish it today and keep my word or keep you here for three hours, right? And, uh, and I know you wouldn't mind staying here for three hours, but I'm really hungry. So I wouldn't mind, right? So I got to go eat. We're already at our second service. We had a great time. And, uh, and, and so we're not going to finish it today because uh, we're, I want you guys to, you know, have the rest of your Sunday. I know some of you got to go to the lake, cook out, um, you know, do something fun, grocery shop, iron, wash clothes, all that fun stuff before the week starts. But a, a few weeks ago, we started a, a series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like, and we have been teaching on the seven parables of the kingdom. And honestly, when I started this series, you know, I didn't realize, I thought, ah, we'd we do one parable a week and we finish it in seven weeks, but that's what I love about the Word of God. The more you get into it, the more you get out of it. So, you know, when, when you hear a pastor or a preacher come and, and, and they're going to read a, a, a passage of Scripture, you're like, oh, I've heard that all my life. I've got it memorized, you know. Um, and don't, don't shut your mind because that's what the Word of God does, right? When the more you, you get into it is the more you'll get out of it. And even though, you know, we've been in full-time ministry almost 30, 30 years and, and I have taught and I have preached over several of these passages and things that I've been sharing over the last seven weeks are things that I had never seen before and, and had taught on before. So, you know, I just encourage you to, to open your heart and open your mind. And, and so we are in part three of the parable of the sower, which is actually the first parable of this series of parables. Remember, we talked about when, when in the first uh, part of Jesus's ministry, and we look at, at the book of Matthew, the first tw- 12 chapters, he, he was really introducing his life and his, his ministry and, and, and the kingdom. And he was talking about the blessings or the benefits of the kingdom. But in, in chapter 13, where he starts these series of, of seven parables, he begins to shift his, his language and also his method of communication. This is the point where he begins to introduce this idea of sharing profound principles through common language and, and common stories, right? And, and that's what the parable a parable is. It's just, you know, a, a story. It's a, 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 if it's for me, I'm busy. I know they want to talk to me right now, but tell them I can't. Give me about 45 minutes. So, um, and, and, and so he begins to, to shift, the, 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 to bring a paradigm shift about the kingdom. And he begins to not just talk about the benefits of the kingdom, but he begins to talk about the cost and the commitment of what it is to be a Jesus Christ follower, right? Because if you look at scripture, we were never called just to be Christians or converts. We were called to be disciples. What is a disciple? It is a follower of Jesus Christ to walk the way that he walked, to talk the way that he talked, to reflect his 
his love and, and, and his character and his hope and, and, and his peace. And how many of you know it's not always easy to reflect the, 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 the character of Jesus Christ? There's a, a, a few people in this room that has seen Pastor Brian when he's not reflecting the character of Christ. Right, John? What? <laughs> Our, our local state trooper, right? He got to see me in a time where I was not quite reflecting the character of Jesus Christ, right? And, and, I'm ne- and I've never tried to hide that from you. You know, I'm very vulnerable and transparent. And, you know, thank God that when he came to church, he didn't recognize me. I recognized him, and I started freaking out like... <laughs> Okay, God, I get it. I get it now. But uh, it, I'll have to share the story uh, another day off camera when we're not going live because <laughs> I don't want to incriminate myself. But uh, thank God that, that he loves Jesus and, and he loves like Jesus. Amen. Uh, so it's not always easy to reflect the character, right, of, of Jesus Christ. And, and honestly, because the church has failed to create disciples, we've done a great job of creating converts or creating Christians, but we have not been successful enough in creating disciples, those that truly walk the walk and talk the talk and reflect, you know, who Jesus is and what it's like to be in the kingdom of, of, of God, right? Right. And, and so this is where Jesus begins to set the course and, and, and really challenge the people's hearts. So let's go to, to the book of Mark chapter 4. And we're going to be reading uh, verse, the first eight verses. And it says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around. So he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Verse 3, listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath. The birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. So here Jesus is, is talking to an, a, a, an agrarian society, a, a, a society and culture that, that lived through agriculture, that, that worked the ground. And in fact, uh, most of Jesus' audience would have been very familiar with these concepts because they, they would have been considered farmers, right, and, and, and ranchers. And so as Jesus begins to tell this story about this farmer scattering seed and how seed fell on on four different types of of soil, this is a a scene or an idea that his audience would have been very familiar with and would have had a clear understanding of what Jesus was trying to say. And in fact, you know, that's why a lot of times it's hard for us to understand some of the, the principles of Scripture because. We, we, don't, we don't live like that. Most of us here, you know, we, we don't live from the land. In fact, I'm the guy that I don't even cut my own yard, right? 
I don't even cut my own yard. And if I didn't have a sprinkler system, I would have the worst yard in the neighborhood. Yeah, I'd be that guy that every other neighbor hated because I would bring the neighborhood down. But thank God we live in a house that has a sprinkler system, right? But I'm, I'm not a yard guy. I don't want anything to do with, with gardening or yard. I know some of you love, you know, torturing yourself and doing that. But, you know, I'm an overcomer, right? Uh, and, and so I, I don't do that. But you know, so most of us have a hard time understanding some of these, these concepts, but the audience that Jesus was, was speaking to here would have clearly understood what he was trying to, to say and communicate. So he goes to tell a story about a farmer that scattered seed that fell on four different types of soil, right? So when, when we read this, we have the field or the good soil. We have the footpath around the field. We have a tract of weeds or or thorns, and then we have the, the rocky ground or the rocky rocky soil. So just to kind of give you an idea and, and recap is that the topography in, in Israel or in Palestine was, is very rocky, right? So, so farming is, is not very easy. So before someone would, could go and, and work the land, they would have to clear the land. They would have to, to, to prepare the land. They would have to remove rocks and, and stumps and, and weeds and, and trees and all the things that would, that would hinder that land or that soil from, from producing whatever they were trying to plant. So the farmer would go and he would move rocks. So just to kind of give you a picture of how they would do this. So they would have this, this tract of land, this field that would be cleared of all of the weeds, the thorns, the rocks, and, and everything. And then around it, they would use a, a, a footpath. And, and just by virtue of trampling and walking, it would begin to compress that, that tract of land. And that was what was known as the footpath. Then after the footpath, you had this, this area, this tract of land between the footpath and, and the rocks. So remember I said that they, would, they didn't have modern-day fencing systems, so they would take the rocks that they would clear, and they would create a barrier around their field. And that's how they would divide the fields between families and, and between, between people. So you would have the field, the footpath, the, the, the thorny or, or weedy ground, and then you would have the rocky, the rocky barrier. So the farmer would then go and take his bag of, bag of seed, right? And, and like I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they didn't, they didn't have that really cool little maquinita that had the spinny thing. Maquinita is the Greek word for... <laughs> right? I'm very theological and biblical, okay? So had the spinny thing that would, you would go and it would just scatter the seed, right? They didn't have that technology, so they would take their bag and they would walk around the footpath and, and they would throw the seed. And, you know, when you're throwing seed, you didn't have control of the trajectory of, of your seed, right? Because you're trying to cover as much ground. And, and when you would throw it, some seed would fall on the rocky barrier, some would fall on the weeds, some would fall on the footpath, and some would fall on the field or the good soil, right? So remember we said that God is the farmer, the sower, the seed represents the word of God, and the soil 
is representative of the heart. So what Jesus is saying is that there are four types of soil or four types of heart that the people can have. The first one we talked about a few weeks ago was the footpath, right? And we talked about how the footpath you know, over time, because it, it would be, you know, walk, you know, be walked on, it would, it would begin to, to compress it. It would begin to, to become concrete and, and hard that when the seed would fall, because by, by it being compressed and hard, the seed could not penetrate. And because it couldn't penetrate, it would not be able to, to germinate, right? And, and, and those of you who have, have, have been around, you can see a, a, a footpath, right? You can see just a, a couple of weeks ago, I took my, my son's we were in Del Rio for the, the tea social that, that our Access Plus Fellowship had put on. And so Pastor Sander was, was preaching and teaching at that. So I took the boys. I drove them out to the lake, took them to Governor's Landing. We got out. And as you survey the terrain, you, you see these little tracks of, 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 of terrain where nothing is growing. And you can automatically see that that's the footpath, right? Because nothing produces or nothing grows there, right? And that's representative of, of those people through through the, the adversities or the tragedies of life and, and just life in general as itself has caused their heart to be hardened that when the seed of God comes, they want nothing to do with, with the seed. They want nothing to do with God. They don't want anything to do with religion. And remember we said that oftentimes we, we, we're trying to nag and we're trying to, you know, to prod and get them. And what we need to do is pray that the Holy Spirit would bring rain upon that heart that would soften their heart so that when you plant the seed, the seed could penetrate, then germinate, and then begin to produce. The second type of soil we talked about was the rocky soil. In the Bible, Jesus describes it here as 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 a shallow soil with underlying bedrock, right? Because you have a barrier over over rock, but over time, through the winds and the storms, there would be soil that would that would cover the rock, right? And you will have growth there, but those of you know that like to torture yourself outside, you know, that's the easiest place to, to uproot weeds, right? Because there's, it has, as, because of the rock, the roots have, have nothing to grab hold of it. The roots have nothing to, to, to grab hold of it. So you can literally take something and, and it's easily to swish away. And the rock represents those areas in our life where we have failed to surrender and submit to God. It could be a habit, a, a, a character flaw, a, 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 an attitude that we have. Maybe it's an offense or a hurt that, that, that we've held on to because of what someone did to us or, or how they abandoned us or how they left us. And we don't realize that those things in our life keep the seed of God or the word of God from really penetrating the soil of our heart and keep it from really flourishing, right? And, and, and you can, you can kind of see that these are the people that will come for two or three months and they'll come faithfully. They'll have the joy of the Lord, but then, but then you know, a, a, a situation comes, a, a tragedy comes, an adversity comes, and all of a sudden they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want nothing to do with church or with, with that pastor. And, and, and all of a sudden they, they just go through this cycle. And the problem is, is that they've got a lot of rocks in their soil. They're holding on onto things that they need to get rid of. And once they do that, then the, the roots will be able 
to take its, its, its stronghold, its, its place. Then the, the third soil represents the, the thorny soil, right? It's, the, it's, it's where the weeds grow, right? And it says in Mark chapter 4, 18 and 19, this is how Jesus describes it. He said, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced, right? So those of you guys that, that work the ground and, and, you know, take your yards, you know, you don't have to be an experienced gardener to know that, that weeds grow without any effort, right? And they grow in the places that, that you don't want. It, it's hard work. It takes intentionality. It takes perseverance and dedication to grow good things. But how many of you know that you really don't have to do anything to allow weeds and, and, and thorns to grow, right? And so these weeds grow with the speed and strength that few good seeds can, can rival or, or, or can, can equal. And the result is that those weeds are strong, that they throttle the life of, of, and, and strength, right? They, they throttle the life out of the seed. And the seed, what the seed was trying to produce, eventually will die, right? So if, if you work the land and, and you don't deal with the weeds, if you don't go and uproot the weeds before you know it, you'll have more weeds than you have fruit. You'll have more weeds than, than you have grass, right? Because the weeds will overtake the good the good fruit, the, the good crop, the, the weeds will overtake the, the good grass, right? So what happens is with our thoughts, our attitudes, and our appetites have the capacity to put a stronghold on the promises of God for our lives, right? And that's what the weeds represent, those things that keep the seed, the word of God, the promises of God from flourishing in your life. That's why you have to deal with the weeds. Tell your neighbor, deal with the weeds. We gotta deal with the weeds or don't tell your neighbor nothing. It's up to you, right? <laughs> Just a suggestion, right? So, you know, that's what the weeds represent, that those, those attitudes, those habits, those, those behaviors that can put a stranglehold. And oftentimes we're wondering, say, God, how come this promise is, is not flourishing? Remember a few weeks ago I said there's 7,700 promises in the word of God for us, right? That's a lot of promises, you know, with the, in the word of God for us. And oftentimes we're wondering, say, God, when is the promise of, 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 of my, my children, of us being able to, to give birth to children or when the promise of the restoration of my marriage or you're going to change my husband, you're going to change my daughter, you're going you're gonna to bring my, my son and my daughter back, right? And, and we're sitting here not realizing that it's our very own attitudes, habits, behaviors, and appetites that are not allowing the seed and the promise of the word of God to flourish in, in our life, right? So what Jesus is essentially saying is that weeds can grow and choke out the, the, the seed or the word of the Lord that those things that God wants to produce, the word of God, the promise of God can be choked out by, by three things. The worries of this world, the lure of wealth, 
and the desire for other things. There's three type of weeds that if we don't uproot those things and deal with those things, they will keep the word of God from flourishing in our lives. So let's look at the first one, the worries of this world, right? Because that's what Jesus said. So the Greek word for worries comes from two words which mean divided and mind, right? So when the Bible talks about the worries of this world, he's talking about having a, a, a divided mind. See, a lot of people suffer from anxiety, confusion, depression, stress, because their mind is divided. In other words, they, they, they have too, too many options, right? How many times, you know, we say that we, we trust in God, right? We, we trust in God for healing. We trust in God for, for, for hope. We trust in God for restoration. We trust in God for salvation. But the reality is, is that, that we have too many options. See, when Jesus is talking to these, these people, and his audience, right? They didn't have any and any other alternative. Today, you know, we, we, we have so many different alternatives, right? You know, when we get sick, oftentimes, even as believers, before we go to God in prayer, before we believe and take the promise of, of, of healing for us that is given in Scripture, we go to the doctors, we go to the clinics, we go to the emergency, right? And then oftentimes we wonder, God, where is, is the miracles? God, where is the promise? Where is the power? And the problem is, is that we have a divided mind. We have too many options. These people, they didn't have clinics. They didn't have doctors. When I, I remember hearing my grandmother talk about the, the great tent revivals of the 40s and 50s and 60s of how people would get healed and, and, and paralytics would get up out of the wheelchair and, and they would throw away the, the crutches and the wheelchairs and, 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 and cancer, tumorous cancers would literally fall off of people's bodies. And, and you want to say, God, why? Why don't we see that today? Well, back then they didn't have options, but today we have telehealth, we have Zoom health, you know, we have all kinds of other options. And before we ever think about going to God, we go to the other options. Having a divided mind. See, too many believers have too many options. And when you have too many options, you invite confusion. And when you invite confusion, you create the atmosphere for anxiety, for worry, depression, for stress. But see, when you only have one option, you will always have the upper hand. See, some of you guys are familiar with, with our testimony and, and, and I, I share this a lot because it impacted my life so much that, um, you know, Pastor Sandra and I, we were working in Dallas and ministering in Dallas when God pulls the emergency break from our life and says, I want you to leave everything and I want you to go to Mexico. I want you to go to Mexico, leave your family, leave your jobs, leave your income, your cars, your home. And we did. We sold everything and we went to Mexico to serve God. What was God doing? God was putting me a place where I would have no other options. Because I, I, I've always been very, very resilient. I learned at a young age how to make money, right? My first business was selling weeds and wildflowers. My, my parents were, were, were pr uh, the president of a, of a, of a Bible college. 
And, and so at the, at the, in the evening of the day, all of the couples, they would sit around this, this area and they would couple off and they would see there. So what I would do, being, being this entrepreneur that I am, I would go and gather these weeds and wildflowers flowers, and I would walk up to the guy and say, you want to buy these for your girlfriend? But you had to do it with the girl there, right? Because how can that guy tell no to this little cute six or seven-year-old, really cute, right? Six or seven-year-old. I mean, how could he say no, right? And I would sell him for 25 cents, and I could, that 25 cents, I could buy a bottle of Coke or a Baby Ruth candy bar, Right? So I learned that I could make money sell, selling weeds, right? And, and, and I did that. Then, you know, when, another day when I came home from, from school with my school pictures, remember your parents would buy these packages, have an 8 by 10 and 5 by 7 and my mom would always buy a bunch of wallet-sized pictures, right? And so that she could send to the tias and tios and because and, 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 everybody wanted a picture of me. And <laughs> it's my preaching, I can tell it my way, Okay. So I'm coming home, and the girls from the Bible school students, oh, let me see your picture. And, they, and I started showing my picture, like, can I have one? And I said, there's a business here. <laughs> so what did little Brian do? Little Brian goes to the house, goes to my mom and dad's office, gets the paper cutter, and gets his, his, his wallet-sized pictures, and cuts all 15 of those wallets. Well, you know those things don't cut straight, right? But they, I cut all the pictures, and I went, and I sold all 15 for $1. That was four Cokes and four candy bars. My mom gets home. She says, hey, let me see your pictures. Where are all the wallets? And I, I, I'm fanning myself with my 15 bucks. Supply and demand, right? So I, I have always been very resilient and, and just very self-dependent. But God knew that as long as I was dependent on myself, then, and I had options, I would not be dependent on him. And God knew that the, the walk and the ministry that he was calling us to, we would never be able to do it other, if we, if we didn't really truly trust in God, right? He knew that, that I couldn't do that. So God had to take me to a place in Mexico. He had to take me to a place where I couldn't work, where I couldn't do anything to earn any kind of income, and we had no no ministry or church that would support us monthly. We literally took a step of faith. But because I was doing so well in, in work and my job, I had $30,000 in the bank. So I go to Mexico and Brian being Brian, I surveyed. I said, oh, there's some business here. I said, I know. I'm going to go to the States and buy clothes and take it back to Mexico and sell it. That's a very good business, right? Those of you that are in Mexico know that, that you're, you're providing a, a need and, and actually blessing people getting things that they could never get for themselves because they don't have stores like Ross or Marshalls where you can buy good clothes at, at a good price. And so I would be like, I'm, I'm blessing God's people in Mexico, right? But I'm thinking I'm going to do that. Do you know that I still have clothes because it never sold? Why? Because I was still trying to depend on me. And you would think by then I would get it, but I did it. I said, you know what? Another good business. I'm going to go buy cars in the States, and I'm going to go sell them in Mexico. A lot of people make a lot of good money. So I came, bought a car at the auction, fixed it up, took it back to Mexico, put a big for sale sign. I said, Shh. I'm going to be rolling in the money, and then I'll go buy another one. I'll buy two, come back. You know, I never sold that vehicle. It got to the point 
where all of those $30,000 that I had saved in the bank were gone. And that's when God says, mijo, we're about to start the process of you learning not to trust in yourself, but to trust in me. It got so bad that for six months we couldn't even pay the rent. And my landlord came one day and he says, you know what, we've been trying to work with you. And I said, I know, but it's been hard. We don't have money, da 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 He says, well, how much do you want for that vehicle? I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll give you the vehicle. You take the six months of, of, of rent that we owe you and give me two years free, then you can have the vehicle. And that's how I got rid of the vehicle. I didn't make any money. And so we were left in zero. And that was the first year. We were there seven years. But let me tell you, the moment that I ran out of options was the moment that we began to see God provide like never before. That's when God began to provide for the rent. I remember one day, early in the morning, 8 in the morning, our, someone rang our doorbell and we walked out there and there's all these bags of, of groceries and, and, and vegetables and fruit that were fresh from, from the mercado and, and we're sitting there and, and we didn't have any, any other money or any other food. I mean, I could just, I could bore you all day with all of the testimonies that God blessed us with, that God, God did things with. We, like I said, we, we sold our vehicle. We didn't have a vehicle in Mexico. We would have to ride the bus. And, and, and it wasn't until we ran out of money that we had no money and no vehicle when a, a man, God used a man from Mexico and said, you know what, Brian, uh, God put in my heart to help you buy a vehicle. I'm going to give you $2,000. Go buy a vehicle in the States. But that didn't happen until I ran out of options. And see, as long as we have a divided mind, right, you know, and, and our only option is the word and the will of God, then that's where we're going to see God manifest his, his power. That's where we're going to see manifest. But see, there is something about the will and the word of God that nourishes and strengthens. But every moment that we spend in anxiety, every moment that we spend in worry, we are actually feeding the beast that is putting a stranglehold on the, God, on the promise of God over our destiny destiny and let me tell you that the devil cannot read our minds but he can know the thoughts or the ideas that he suggests i never i never understood this until years ago i read a book by frankie peretti called you know piercing the darkness and and i understood that the devil and 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 don't be saying well the devil was bothering me you're not that important the devil's not omnipresent he can't be everywhere at all times and you're not that important i hate to break it to you okay but he does have minions and demons that actually whisper things in, in your ear. And he whispers things that you're going to die from the sickness. You're not going to make it. You're not going to be pay the bills. You've gotta, you're, you're not going to do that. You're going to get fired. You're, you know, your, your marriage isn't going to be restored. Your children are going to be restored, right? And, and so what happens is that the enemy, he, he, does, he can't read your thoughts, but he knows the thoughts that, that he suggests or the ideas. And, and I believe that he can actually tell when those thoughts which the apostle paul calls the fiery darts makes it past the shield of faith into our soul remember our soul is comprised of our mind our emotions and our will and in fact 
That's the order by which the thought or the idea takes root in our life. The enemy whispers, it takes root in our mind. From our mind, it goes into our emotions, and then our emotions drives our actions. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I like the, the New King James says, we take every thought captive that acknowledge itself against Christ, right? We take every thought captive. That, that's why you can't have a divided mind. When the enemy comes and he brings those thoughts of inadequacy, if he brings those thoughts of depression, of hopelessness, when he brings that, you've got to take that thought and you've got to put it on the ground and you've got to smash it and say, uh-uh, not today, devil, not today, Satan. I know who I am in Christ. I know that I am saved. I know that I am healed. I know that I am rich. I know Know that I am strong. You've got to captive, take those rebellious thoughts captive, and you and you got to smash them. You can't let it get into your mind because once it gets into your mind, it will penetrate your emotions, and it is your emotions that drive your actions. But it all starts with a thought. See, when you accept the thought or the idea of the enemy regarding your identity, your life, your marriage, your health, your finances, you're actually coming into agreement with what the devil wants, right? And when you come into agreement with that thought, you actually give it power and authority, and the enemy is empowered by our agreement. So when we come into agreement, we empower the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the worries of this world having a divided mind. The second type of thorn that Jesus talks about is the lure of wealth, right? Notice it doesn't say wealth. It says the lure of wealth. Oftentimes people read the scripture says, you know, the root of evil, that money is the root of evil. And they say, well, money is the root of evil. No, it's the love of money, right? And he's not saying wealth is, is bad. He's saying the lure of wealth, right? The lure of wealth, the deceitfulness. Those of you that are, 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 are fishermen or fisherwomen, right, you know what a lure is. What is a lure? It's fake. It looks like it. It might act like it. It might resemble it, but it's not it right? It's fake. It's, a fish is caught by the lure of the lure, the deceitfulness of the lure. And in fact, that's what it says in the original language, the deceitfulness of, of, of wealth, right? Wealth equals money, possessions, and income, but wealth can also be position, title, accomplishments, or, or even fame. And so there is a deceitfulness that comes with riches. It's easy for wealthy people to think that they have power. There is an illusion of power and personal significance that increases as we gain more wealth, riches, money, or fame, right? And, and we see it all the time when you know people that do well before they used to be really nice and humble and now they're doing well and now they don't even want to talk to you, right? And, and you say, who do you think you are? I remember, you know, when you were just eating 99 cent McDonald's, right? <laughs> right? Because that lure of wealth, the, the deceitfulness that makes you think that you don't need anything or anyone else, right? That's, that's, 
the deceitfulness that comes with riches or wealth, you know, it, it, and it's easy that they think that they have power. But one thing I've learned is that wealth nor poverty creates heart. What wealth and poverty do is they actually reveal the heart you have. They reveal the heart that you have. So the question is, is how much is too much, right? How much is too much wealth? How much is too much fame or too much uh, uh, accomplishments or too much influence, right? So the answer is whatever amount causes you to stop trusting in God or deviates your trust from God. See, for some people, it could be a million dollars. For some people, it could be a hundred thousand dollars. For some people, you know, it could be, there, there's, there's no formula. There's no set standard. But the deceitfulness of wealth is whatever it takes for you to stop trusting in God and to begin to trust in yourself. See, true spirituality is a relationship of dependence See, the closer you get to God, the more you realize you need him. And that's the dichotomy of our relationship with God. And, and I was having a conversation with, with someone this week, and we were, we were talking about this. Like when we, we, we first started coming to church, right? I'm going to check out that weird church access. I heard they have really cool coffee, and the pastor's really cool. And, and <laughs> that's what you think and say, right? But yet you, you, still haven't, you, you still haven't committed to change your life and your habits and, and your lifestyle, right? And, and so you can still go to other places on the weekends downtown around the corner of, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and you can go and you can come and, 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 and you can be fine and you can still go and visit those places. And, 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 and you still feel pretty good, right? But the closer you get to God... It almost sees, and the closer, and the more you begin to grow in your faith, one thing I've realized is that the more unworthy you actually feel. And you would think, like, the more you grow in God, you would feel even more worthy. And a perfect picture, an example, is the prophet Isaiah. Remember the prophet Isaiah? The Bible says that God took him up into the throne room, and he was there. And behold, I saw the throne room and the veil of his temple, you know, filled this place. You know, Isaiah didn't walk. He's like, man, I must be a good Jew. Like, I must be a VIP Jew because there's, no there's no other prophets that made it. I must be a, man, I, I must live at a higher standard and be more important and more impressive. That was not his attitude because he had that experience and he got to see God in a way that no other person ever got to see. He says, wait, God, don't come near me because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among unclean people. See, the reality is, is that the closer you get to God, the less worthy you actually feel. The more, the more you... You're so loved with him because you're like, man, God, you gave your only begotten son for me. Do you know who I am? You know the bad words I used to say, how I used to lie, I would steal, I would manipulate God, and yet, and, and, and see, that's the difference between a religious mindset and a relational mindset. See, the religious mindset, like the Pharisees, they thought they had a monopoly on God. And they would walk around like they were the really VIP Christians. And nobody could touch them. And nobody could, could be, about, be about them or be uh, around them. 
But those that were relational, had intimacy with God, knew that they were there not by position, but they were there by grace because God brought them in, because God called them in, right? So, so that's it. And the perfect picture is that we can contrast Peter and John. Remember, Peter would brag about how much he loved God, but John never bragged about how much he loved God. John would brag about how much God loved him. See, the closer we get to God, the more that we realize that we need him. See, so much of wealth is used to create image. Name brands, houses, cars, signal. I know that this is like for Del Rio, but I'm just going to say it here. I know. I know you guys aren't all about that, right? Name brands. So much of wealth, and we use our wealth and our resources just to create an image. What is image? You know what image is? Image is the soulish attempt to create identity. It's the soulish attempt to create externally what God created internally. It's our way of trying to make people know and recognize that we're pretty important, that we're cool. And we get caught up in that, you know, and, and, and before it used to be just the kids, but now today the parents, man, they're so much caught up in, in what their kids wear and how they dress. And I got to admit, well, Pastor Sandra and I are there and like, I'm like, babe, put these shoes, babe, Malachi can't wear Nike socks with Adidas shoes. And I'm like, why? <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, he can watch. No, we can't send him to school. I said, watch me. And even though I'm the boss, I do what she said. I put the Nike socks with the Nike shoes, right? But, but, but you see it all the time how even now today parents vicariously through their kids are trying to, to present this, this image, right? And, and, and the counterfeit role of creating identity in the life of the believer. See, we've got to realize that, that my identity is not in what I own. It's not in what I drive. It's not in my title. It's not how God uses me. My identity is in Christ as a son that was adopted by the Father. My identity is in the one who called me to himself. Yet the deceitfulness and the lure of wealth is that it creates a sense of entitlement and a false identity. It's a facade. You know what a facade is? It's fake. It's not even real. And, and, and I believe that we have fallen into that trap, especially being in the era of social media. Right? That this, this era of social media trying to, to present to other people what, what our life is really like, right? And we, we put our kids all cute and, oh, mira el angelito, y sabes que es un diablito, right? But on Instagram, shh. And then us on the outside, we're looking at their kids, and you're looking at your mocosito, and you're like, that doesn't compare, like, how do you get your kid? You can comb their hair. I can barely get them out the door, right? Literally, every morning I comb Malachi's hair. By the time I finish brushing my teeth, his hair's messed up. And you know what mama says? Mama says, you didn't even comb his hair. I'm like, I did. I swear to God, I did, right? But he's four years old. He doesn't cooperate, right? 
And we look and we, and we fall into that, right? And, and, and see, we've got to grow in our dependence, our humbleness, our meekness, so that, we could in, so that God could entrust us to have more of a greater impact in his kingdom. But see, God will not give us more than our hearts can handle. See, there are so many blessings and so many things that God wants to do, but God will never give you more than your heart can handle. God will only give you enough to keep you in a place where your heart is dependent on him. And the moment you start depending on yourself, that's when God starts taking away. And you're blaming the devil, and it's not the devil, it's God. The devil. No, it's not the devil. Just this past week, I was talking with one of our, our pastors, and he was having a hard time because he's had a, he had, he had a, a son that was born with special needs, and he's had to, you know, miss a lot of work. And he said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. They cut my, they took me from salary to hourly, and, and now I don't know how we're going to make it because we had to miss so much work because I got to take my son to San Antonio to doctor's appointments. And, and I said, you know, we're praying for you. Well, finally, I had a chance to talk to him. I said, quit blaming the devil. It wasn't devil. It was God. Because God has called you to the ministry, and ministry is a walk of faith. And God had to put you in a place where you had another other option but to trust in him. No other option but to trust in him. And God is going to show you that you're not your provider. He's going to show you that he's your provider. And you know what happened that week? A family, their, their pastors in Del Rio, a family from Eagle Pass heard about the shortage of baby formula and they couldn't find any. Bought them eight cans of formula. So Wednesday night when I went to them, I said, here, this is God showing you. Shut up. And quit crying. I'm in control. You're not your provider. God is your provider. But when we depend on ourselves, right? And, and take that dependence off of God, then, then that chokes the promises of God in our life. And finally, the third thing. She said, Pastor, I'm going to be ready as soon as you give me the... Okay. Well, then I forgive you because what I was saying was really good. See? The last thing. The last type of thorn. Aren't you glad we don't have a boring church and you don't have a, a boring pastor? Is the desire for other things. Remember, the soil represents a heart that is focused on the worries of life, a divided mind, the lure and deceitfulness of wealth. And then the third thing is the desire or luster cravings for other things. See, the desire for other things in the original language actually means like the rest or, or anything else, right? And, and Jesus didn't give us a comprehensive list because it's not the list of things that, that, is, that is important, right? See, what is important that this heart that has a desire for other things has an appetite for things outside of that which God would provide. A perfect example, Satan, Lucifer, the Bible says that he was the most beautiful angel. He was the worship leader in heaven, and yet that wasn't good enough. He began to look around. He began to look at himself in the mirror, take some selfies. How do you girls do it? 
with the filter. Man, those filters lie. I see people on social media, see them in person, like, anyway. And he began to see how beautiful he was. And he's like, what am I doing leading this chorus of angels to worship God when they should be worshiping me? What was he saying? He, was, he had an appetite for things outside of that which God would provide. Another perfect example is Eve right here. God put Adam and Eve in this amazing garden where they didn't have to work. They didn't have to do anything. She didn't have to wash, iron, cook, or clean. Like she just had to get up and sunbathe every day. Right? That's all she had to do. But yet here comes Satan, whispers in her ear, and put the seed in her mind, affected her emotions, and then drove her actions. He said, God, God really wants you to eat that fruit. Because remember, he said, you can have all of the fruit of all the trees except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have it all. But that one tree, and as she was sitting there, what happened, the seed created an appetite outside of the thing that God had provided for her. And that's the deceit of the enemy, right? That, that's what he does. He used the very thing that caused him to fall and caused a third of the angels to follow him to now get all of man to fall. See, as we grow in our faith, we need to come to the point where we say, I don't want anything in my life if it doesn't come from his hand. I won't pursue anything if it's not in his plan, if it's not in his will, if it's not in his purpose in my life. I don't want anything else but what you have for me, God. See, because the minute we start desiring other things, right, we're choking the promises of God in our life. And God is saying, I want to give you this, but you're saying, I want that. And God knows that this is better for you. And this is, God knows that this is what you really need. But because you're not in tune with what you need, you're only in tune with what the lust of the eye see. And, and you do. And see, what happens is that causes us to fall into the sin of comparison, right? And, and the sin of comparison is the desire for other things. And let me tell you, that comparison kills. Comparison kills your joy. It kills your peace. It kills your purpose. See, you in your life can think, like you've got it everything that you've got it made and you've got it good but the moment you start comparing yourself with someone else's life the moment you start comparing your marriage with someone else's marriage your family with someone else's family your business with someone else's business your ministry with someone else's ministry you have fallen into the trap of the enemy and he uses that sin of comparison to get you to desire things outside of the dominion and the will of God for your life. And there you are. You're saying, if I could just, right, if I could just drive that car, if I could just get that degree, if I could just get to know that person, if, if I could just have that job, or if I could just marry that guy, if I could just marry that girl, and, and, and there you are, if I could just, right, But the problem is that, that that appetite for other things can never be satisfied. 
for instance, people, and I've seen this with, with personal experience, and I, I just want to put out there that I have nothing, you know, against people who get tattoos, but oftentimes I see that there is a need, and they go and they get a tattoo, and that tattoo feels a need for a while, but what happens they start feeling the need for another one. And that fills the need. And then they start, and before you know it, their whole arm and their face and, you know, is all full of tattoos. And, and, and the problem is, is that appetite, that lust or that craving for other things will never be satisfied. It's never ending. It just goes. And, and, and happens oftentimes, man, if I could just, if I could just buy, if I, if I could just have, or if I could just date, or if I could just marry, and you get that thing, and what happens now is if I could just, if I could, you're, you're never satisfied. And, and, and that appetite that causes us to desire other things outside of the dominion of God is feeding the beast that's choking the very promise of God over your life, not realizing you're hurting your yourself when all you need to do is say God I only want what you have for me if only my husband was like that husband if only my wife could cook like that wife man she can throw down she makes handmade homemade tortillas right and we fall into that trap not realizing that those thoughts that lust that craving for the thing that God is not providing in your life is choking the seed of the promise that God wants to bring in your life. That's why Mark 7 says, Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. See, the promise of God has within it intrinsically the fulfillment of all those things that we are praying for and believing for but that appetite for other things draws us out of his will, out of his assignment for our life, and even out of God's timing. And now that, that hunger that I have, which could be fulfilled by the very thing that God has in his hand, now is working against and working to choke the promise of God in my life. See, the desire for other things actually chokes the actual destiny of God over our life. And you know what my prayer for you and my prayer for me in this season is to have the blessing of Solomon. Look at what it says, 2 Chronicles 7-11. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart. In other words, the King James says that all that he had purposed in his heart or came to his heart came to pass. That is my desire. But that only happens when we uproot all of the weeds, right, of the worries of the life, the lure, the lure of wealth, and what's the third one? the desire for anything else that doesn't come from God. So how do we do that? How do we, we do this? Go with me, and I'm going to close with this, Psalm 37.4. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's 
desires. See, a lot of times we read that and we think that if we delight ourselves in God, then God gives us what we want. Right? That, that's what, and say, man, just delight and God will give you what you want. No. That word delight means to align yourself to God's will, to God's word. And when you align yourself with God's will and God's word, then you stop desiring those things that you want and you start desiring the things that God wants for your life. He actually gives you the very thing that he wants for you to desire. See, when you begin to delight yourself in God, you know what he does? He begins to reignite that desire for your husband that you lost. And you quit comparing and say, God, I wish I would have married that old boyfriend. God, I should have listened to mama. But no, I had to go. But he wore that Tommy cologne and, right, and the Tommy jeans and the Tommy polo, right? And, and, and we're all caught up in that. When you delight yourself in God, God causes you to, to desire your husband again. God causes you to desire your wife again. God causes you to desire to be with your family, not wasting all your hours at work. See, when you delight yourself in the Lord, then God's desires for you become your desires. And when you desire what God desires for you, then all those things will come to pass. That's how we change our life. Will you stand? Lord, we just love you today and we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. God, thank you for this word. God, I know that there are many of us in here today that, that have promises that have been spoken and released over our lives. Prophetic words that have yet to come to pass. The promise of healing, of restoration, of marriages, of homes, of promises of children being birthed. And we're wondering, say, God, where is it? Where, where is the fulfillment not realizing that because we have weeds and thorns in our lives, we have too many options. We fall into the deceitfulness of wealth thinking that we can get whatever we want because we have money or influence or power or fame. Or we just have an appetite for the wrong things. God, help us to uproot those weeds so that your promises will be seeded within our hearts and it will begin to produce the fruit that your word says, God, so that we can be like Solomon and say everything that came into his heart came to pass. But that's when we align our desire with what you desire. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us, and a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.